Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Let's join your hosts, Phil Dark and Dr. Karen Hutchison. Hey guys, welcome to the Think Orphan podcast. This is Dr. Karen, and I am so excited to be back with you guys. Thank you for joining in today. I think it's been multiple months since I've done a recording. Phil, is that is that accurate? Two, three months. That is that is right. Yeah, it's been a couple months. It's been a, it's been a while. Too long. Well, it's great to be back, and we have a really amazing show for you guys. Um, I've actually been looking forward to this show for, I guess, a couple of months whenever Phil first um, interviewed our guest, which I'm not going to give it away because it's too exciting and too wonderful. But now that I think about it, it might actually be on the website when they click on it. (laughs) It is, but that's okay. That's okay. It's still suspense for those who just clicked. They probably clicked on it, too, on Facebook or something, too. But that's okay okay. because the suspense is still building. It's It's great. It's great. Well, it is great to be back. Um, I missed recording. I missed uh, doing the interviews and and hanging out with you, Phil. Uh, Phil knows, but I've just had so much stuff going on the past couple of months, guys. I wish that... um, you know, I could share in great detail so that in in that we could all learn and grow, but safe to say it's been across the board. Um, One of my really good friends um, experienced a significant um, experience with just unnecessary gun violence that resulted in a homicide, and that pretty much rocked our world for, is still rocking our world, but that was quite devastating. Had just um, some big stuff within extended family, big stuff within immediate family, and then a family member pass away. So just lots of really big stuff um, going on. And and in that, though, um, I know everyone experiences really big stuff. And in that, we hold fast and we hold true to the truth of the gospel. And we know that in our times of darkness and in our suffering, um, that God is always with us, that we're not abandoned, that we're not alone, and that the gospel of Jesus Christ is true. And so I'm excited to be here and and sharing um, any small things that I can share as we kind of work together to talk about the best way to to care for kids and and children and teenagers um, without families. So all of that to say, Phil, what is on the show today? Well, I just want to say too, you know, we've been praying with you and and all of that. There's mm, so much. You. And in the midst of all that, you also went to Ethiopia. That's and right. I know that we'll be talking about that stuff as we go along. And there's just some great stories from there. I know I followed that a little bit um, on uh, Facebook and Instagram and yeah. some other things. So there's some some great lessons that I know will come up as we're as we're going through. Hopefully, we'll get some folks on the show from when you oh, were over I'd there. Love it. I want that to happen. It's, I can't wait to share about it. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, and we, we encourage everyone out there. You don't know the details. You don't need to know the details, but be praying for Karen and, and all this because there's there's so much there. And, and just, you know, I, I know we have been and it's something that, you know, prayer works. So don't need to, you know, God knows. God knows what those details are. So, you know, as Karen said, this is an interview today that we have to kick off season four. Um, I talked about it last week in the preview show, if you listen to that. Uh, we do have it on the on the website and on Facebook. But if you're just hearing for the first time, this is propaganda. Um, he is a hip hop artist. He is a speaker, an activist. He's so much more. Uh, he's a man that is very wise, and he's thought about these issues, um, and he's experienced a lot of the issues that that we're going to be talking about firsthand. Um, and like I said, he studied them as well. Um, he is married to a 
um, Latin woman who's just an amazing woman herself, as he talks about, if you've ever listened to their podcast, uh, the Red Couch podcast. It's some fun stuff. And uh, it challenges your vocabulary, if nothing else. So anyway... Without more, we're going to just get to this interview because it is a fantastic one. And then on the, on the other end of it, uh, Karen and I will talk a little bit about it. But I have no doubt that you're going to learn some stuff. So take out, take out a notebook, take some notes. And, and we absolutely, as always, would love your feedback on this or anything else that you've heard um, on this podcast. Uh, so you can, get, you can leave that feedback on the Think Orphan Facebook page. Uh, or by giving us an email, uh, info at thinkorphan.com. So look forward to, to talking to you guys about this on the other side. Hey, Propaganda, it's so great to have you here today on the Think Orphan Podcast. Hey, what's up? Well, I'm, I'm excited for this interview. I know that uh, I've been uh, able to, I love the fact that I can just listen to your music and that be research. I mean, that there's nothing, uh, nothing yeah, better than yeah. that. Um, but yeah. I've enjoyed doing that. Uh, and I've really loved just the poignant, um, uh, just goodness you have in your songs. It's so, so rich with uh, meaning, but it's also, you know, it's the modern day poetry. I mean, that's what I absolutely hey, love. So thank you for yeah, that. Thank but you. I know a lot of our audience out there uh, may, may not know you. And so I'd love you to just give a quick intro of who you are and uh, kind of how you got to be where you are today. Yeah, yeah. So my name is uh, Propaganda. I'm a Los Angeles native. Uh, I've lived pretty much in and around the L.A. area for all my life, except for maybe about a year that I spent in Oakland, between Oakland and Portland. Um I'm a hip-hop artist. Uh, I do a hybrid of rap and poetry. Um, and uh, I've been doing that for a good while. Before that, I taught high school for about six years. Um, father, uh, husband, I got two daughters. Um, I speak on issues of sort of faith, race, politics, and uh, and just just good old-fashioned head nod hip-hop and, um, and poetry. Yeah, and... Uh, you know, I'm, and uh, kind of haven't looked back ever since. I'm part of a label called Humble Beast. Uh, it's a nonprofit, um, which is pretty unique. Uh, it's, it's a nonprofit record label, and uh, we give away all of our music, which when we started was pretty revolutionary. But now with things like streaming, you know, <laughs> everyone gives away their music. But uh, Absolutely. But, yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's pretty much me in a nutshell. Well, you know, we're going to get into a lot of that music today um, and really how it relates to a lot of the issues we talk about here on the show. Um, yeah. Global things that are going on, but also things that are local here uh, in the U.S. to us that hopefully can be we can extrapolate from and wherever you are listening in the in the world. The one thing that, you know, we want to start off with today, uh, recently I heard you speaking at, at Q uh, in Nashville, mm-hmm. and you talked about intersectionality. And, you know, this is something that's so important to all the work that we're doing uh, anywhere Mm -hmm. uh, around the world. But can you just quickly, uh, you know, kind of just tell our audience what what intersectionality is and why it's important? Yeah. Yeah. So intersectionality is uh, uh, part of a wing of understanding in in something called critical race theory, uh, which was sort of the the expert of that is is assistant named Kimberly Crenshaw. She's up in in, uh, uh, UCLA. Uh, and basically, uh, what it, it's the idea of how sort of our identities, um, kind of intersect in the way for which, uh, overlapping identities kind of relate to power and oppression. 
Um, so for example, I am, you know, uh, black, but I'm a black male husband from Los Angeles, who's also a father and father of daughters and all those things sort of intersect, right. And, and how, um, how that overlap relates to sort of power and privilege and oppression. Um, you know, another example is like, so, so since I'm a black man, I'm a do- I'm the son of a black woman, um, who has her own intersections. And I think a good way, like we talked about in Q that that's, um, sort of displayed was the women's march that happened right after our, our new presidential election, um, where kind of that, 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 uh, sort of problem problematicness of it in the sense that um, it kind of brought out how women's issues and women's rights oftentimes ignore even within their 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 movement sometimes ignore um, other other disenfranchised groups for example the women's rights movement the women's suffrage movement wasn't necessarily women it was white women, because women of color didn't necessarily get their rights until the 60s in the civil rights movement, you know, so, mm-hmm. so, and if, and if women were so, and a lot of, a lot of uh, women of color were kind of, kind of found that, that problematic, because the, the women's march kind of problematic, because if it was such a big issue to you, then, 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 you know, why when, you know, moms were watching their, their children, you know, wash up on the shore, their dead bodies wash on the shore because of the refugee crisis. Like, why weren't you marching then? Why was that not a women's issue? You know, why were you not involved in the Black Lives Matter protest where women were losing their sons in the streets? Like, so, so the overlap of how our identities intersect with each other and then relate to power is uh, sort of the concept of intersectionality. Yeah, and you and you talk too about the idea of going from intersectional to allied to advocate, right? And, and identity yes. and agency are wrapped up in that. Can you can you speak to that for a minute? Yeah, yeah. So one has to first recognize not only how you're you are oppressed, but participate in the oppression, um, and that's a big piece of of the intersection. A good example of that is Standing Rock and the. Uh, Dakota Access Pipeline, and in, in that, you know, I totally understand the the structures that have um, created that crisis for our Native American brothers and sisters, and can stand in solidarity with them. But I also understand that me being a Californian living in Long Beach, that I'm I'm I live on stolen land, you know, and I do benefit from um, cheap uh, oil. Uh, you know, getting to uh, me quicker, that's going to make my gas prices go down. So I understand their oppression, but I also participate in it. So when I when I get those two sort of conflicting issues, I can now move from saying, okay, yeah, I get it, to what can I do to participate in uplifting these people and recognizing my privilege and leveraging it for the sake of others. Um, so that moves us from intersectional to ally and then ultimately to advocacy. Yeah. And I think one of the things that we see a lot today, and I I know that, uh, Andy Crouch has written, written on the idea of, you know, the, the potential danger of social media and kind of the the shadow side of it. You know, there's a lot of good, but there's also the the idea that you can feel like you're actively helping someone when in fact, all you're doing is, is 
putting a you know a post on Facebook and I yeah. think in your uh, podcast with your wife uh, which I which I recommend out there it's called the Red Couch Podcast folks out there if you if you want to uh, check it man. out yeah um, recently yeah. Uh, Dr. Alma your wife who is uh, definitely mm-hmm. teaching me a lot about these different uh, terms and things uh, yeah uh, but she talked about the idea of performative allyship um, in yeah. a recent podcast. Can you kind of speak to that and kind of contrast it with the actual, you know, allied yeah. that you just talked about? Yeah. Yeah. So performative allyship is, is that it's, I mean, there's, and there's validity in awareness in the sense that like your social media can oftentimes bring awareness. Um, but you can't confuse awareness with action. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, what that is, is, yeah, you know, and, you know, when there was attack bombings in Paris, like, you know, putting, you know, a translucent pr- Paris flag over your Facebook, you know, profile picture and think that that means that you're participating in changes. Right. Um, so it's kind of carrying uh, that act, that that thought into sort of action. Here's another here's another interesting one. I think we talked about it in the same podcast that going back to the Dakota Access um pipeline issues we had there they had people flying all over the world coming to participate into that protest well not all over the world maybe all over america participating in that protest and then after it was over and everyone left there was you know 20 metric tons of trash still left on the land and guess who had to clean that up you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. so so you're for a protest that's supposed to be protecting and preserving the the sacredness of the land and the water to leave that much trash there is is pretty underwhelming and undermining of the issue you're out here trying to protest so that's like one of those one of those uh performative allyship things that appetize people miss so kind of catching catching those sort of discrepancies and saying hey you know it's 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 more than just the um getting caught up in the frenzy of being a part of something and not carrying it to its logical conclusion. So maybe, so all of those people who may have flown there thinking they're actually moved to allyship, yet still destroyed the land, you know what I mean? Like maybe the, the to move into real allyship would be like, hey, stick around and clean up, right. you know? Or, or for example, hey, maybe it means uh, getting an electric car, you know, uh, or, you know, whatever case may be um, that, you know, pulling your money from, banks that would um benefit from this from the dakota access like that moves from uh performative to actual allyship right and the other thing you said at q that i that really uh hit me um deeply was that you talked about unity is not uniformity and we're not called the yeah. sameness we're called to oneness can you unpack that Absolutely. a bit yeah i mean i think that like it's it's one of those things that is so self-evident on and you don't realize it until somebody points at it and it's like, oh, wait, duh. you know, is that we have this I- idea that unity sometimes um, means that, yeah, we all sort of fall in line and become homogenous. Um, but logically speaking, that can't possibly be uniform or unity. That's uniformity. That's falling in line. That's obeying somebody's one aesthetic and, you know, um, outplaying of culture. But that doesn't grow us in any way, you know what I mean? And that doesn't that is that even that doesn't even require <laughs> any sort of like growth as a human if we're all just going to be the same, you know what I mean? That right. that doesn't 
it doesn't benefit us at all. We we grow, we become better, we become more um, excellent humans in interacting with other humans and amalgamating uh, those beautiful differences within us. And I think that that's the unity that God is calling us to, is one that that recognizes our differences, appreciates it, and sees how those differences actually make me better and make the other person better and make the world better. Yeah, and that that is so good. And when you're talking about the idea of, you know, let's even take churches, right? You know, you have so many different ways we can worship. And if we were to say, nope, you got to worship the same way or else you're not a Christian, that would obviously, you know, be not what God's calling us to do. You know, I mean, there is that unity in the gospel, but there's different ways to do that. And not only that, Absolutely. And not only that, that would mean that none of us English speaking nations could ever be Christian. Right. Because Absolutely. if it was really about the the uniformity, then we all better learn Hebrew. Yeah. You know, and since I don't know any of us have, um, then what are we going to do? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know. I would, you know, yeah, so we could, I mean, we could go on and on about that, but I want to move into something else right now. I mean, I, it's all related to this and I have a feeling we're going to be drawing from what we just talked about our last few minutes um, in a conversation. I want to kind of get into a conversation about the just re- race relations and you know, many of your songs, mm-hmm. such as, you know, 20 Years, Three Chord Bond, Precious Puritans, really discuss mm-hmm. different aspects of our countries and world's racist histories and how we need and can... Um, how we need to and can address those issues going forward. And I just want to spend the next few minutes just talking about these things. And first thing I want to, mm-hmm. you know, ask you is just, you know, how I personally, um, but also all of my, all the audience that that's listening in that, that are white, white men in mm-hmm. particular, but, uh, how can we understand our privilege in the U S you know, from your perspective, from what you've learned, mm-hmm. as you talked about race theory, how can we understand that in real ways? Um, when we, you know, like myself, I grew up, 45 minutes away from where you grew up. I grew up in Mission yeah. Viejo, South Orange County, yeah. California. And, yeah. you know, I watched Straight Outta Compton the other day and real, you know, it <laughs> highlighted to me, I knew nothing about that going on. Yeah. 45 minutes yeah. away from me growing up and it, it was happening when I was in high school. And so that yeah. really struck me the other day. And uh, so I'd love for you to speak to that. Just how can we understand that? Yeah, man. That's awesome, man. It's funny, given given that example that like, you know, both of those cities, Compton and Mission Viejo, are like exits off the same freeway. It's the 405. Yep. You know, it's just the same highway, you know, have both of those. And I, I think really, I think it starts with um, with, a, with, a, with the, the bigger sort of philosophy that we were saying that unity isn't uniform, is that I understand that I need diversity, you know, um, not as an ancillary or as sort of icing on the cake, if you will, but I'll be fine if I, you know, my life, I can live, live a full, robust life if I don't experience any other sort of um, display of human existence. And I'll still be fine. Like, when you realize that that's not true, and you actually do need to see the world through somebody else's lenses for you to truly live a full and robust life, if you have that perspective, then... You're gonna get in a car. You're gonna get on the bus. You're gonna you're gonna travel. You know, um, and it comes with the position of humility of understanding that like there are things in this world I don't know and I don't understand. And people who may have less money or less privilege or less you know access actually have something to teach me. You know, and they're actually rich in areas that 
I am poor in. So when you understand that, you're like I said, you're going to get on the bus, you know, and um, and position yourself as a learner, you know, um, and and understand that privilege can come in many different sort of sizes and shapes like privilege isn't only white, you know, privilege can come in multiple areas. I have male privilege, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And, and mm-hmm. over my wife, you know what I mean? And I have to listen to my wife and which was one of the big motivations for making our podcast be, you know, co-hosted because the podcast was actually given to me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, I, my wife is, has, is such a wealth of knowledge and experience and wisdom and is so much more brilliant than me in so many areas. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I wanted that, to leverage uh, absolutely. I mean, how can you not? Right. Um, so I wanted to like leverage that leverage my access, um, for her benefit, which ultimately like it in, in a weird way benefits me. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. I'm laying myself down or laying my access down and I'm gaining so much by doing that for her, you know? Um, so I think when we see our lives like that, you know, uh, your experience like that, like you gain so much as a missing Viejo kid, like driving up to Dominguez Hills, you yeah. know what I'm saying? And going to, you know, going to like a Long Beach Poly High School football game, you know what I mean? And watching yep. their game, you yep. know what I'm saying? And, you know, and just like saying, man, and, you know, looking at their cheerleaders and their drill team and being like, crap, you know, and like, yep. Not totally. man, there's, you know what I'm saying? Like, yep. you just grow so much. I remember, you know, being at a, being in high school and we went down to a basketball tournament in San Juan Capistrano mm-hmm. and was and they were like, yeah, there's their high school has a surfing team. I was like, oh, what? Right. right. Like you have you have a surfing team, <laughs> you know, and I just didn't like wait, 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 wait. Explain that, you know. So I realized I gained I gained from that, you yep, know, absolutely. Um, you know, and and uh, so I think that when you have that perspective of saying like, y'all, I'm willing to be a learner, and I know that like, I am not, you know, my experience specifically. And this is the hard part for I think for white culture. You can't. You have to accept the fact that you are not the norm, and everything else is other, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So when you say things like, "Hey, we're gonna go get ethnic food," mm-hmm. like, well, what do you? What do you mean by that? You know what I'm saying? Like, right. well, all food is ethnic, number one. So what you're saying is that you've normalized and centralized your experience and everything else is other. So, oh, that's real exotic. Like, right. Well, that's only because that means you're calling you normal, Mm -hmm. you know? So that's the, the pill I think that white culture really has to swallow is that you're not the norm. You're just one iteration of culture, you know? Um, and when you bring that to the table, I think that that's where you can sort of experience, you know, the laying down of your privilege. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I just want to, for everyone out there listening, just so you know, Mission Viejo, San Juan Capistrano, that's like the height of suburbia, um, South Orange County, California. Oh, man. Um, and then the other places we're talking about, Dominguez Hills, Compton, that's inner city LA. Um, and just, you know, very different. But as we said, 45 minutes away from each other. And uh, like you said, a lot to learn from each other too, you know. So yeah, man. just want to get that um, get that out there. You know, I, and I think that that posture of humility is something, you know, we're going to get into a little bit later as well um that Mm -hmm. i think the empathy the really just being able to say okay you know what can i learn from you i mean that's such a great posture to have in life in any in any respect and and i think you you talked Mm -hmm. about it too and something else to think about you know if my kids asked me the other day is dad do we have an accent and i said yes we have an accent 
But because TV and whatever puts this kind of California or I guess, I don't know what accent it even is, um, kind of the, the quote normal, as you said, is that for whatever reason. But the fact is we all have accents, right? And so, and it's that same idea that there isn't that normal we have put mm-hmm. normal on that. Who's to say what normal is? Um, we're all we're all different. We're all unique. And I think to come from that perspective is, is something that is really important. A starting point, as you said. Um, and it, it actually yeah. reminds me too. You know, I mean, this conversation is is another uh, thing I want to get into. Is you know, my good, one of my best friends uh, in Atlanta. When I was I was an attorney out there working at a big law firm, big law, biggest law firm in Atlanta. And one of my friends was a, a black man um, from mm-hmm. Atlanta, and he showed me around to his you know his childhood you know home, and he and he just he just looked at me and he said, Phil, you know, I'm showing you all this because you know you will never know what it's like to be a black man in a law firm. Yeah. And, you know, it hit me like a ton of bricks again, growing up in South Orange County, you know, being a white kid, went to Vanderbilt University for, for law school, you know, yeah. so I was always at that, you know, height of privilege. But when he said that, it really triggered something in me. And I said, yeah, you're right. But where do we go from here? Right? Like, what do we mm. do with that together? How can we work together with that? Because, you know, at the same way, you don't know what it's like to be a white man in the law firm, you know, and, and that's, yes, that's a reality we live in. So given that, given our country's history, given our current state affairs, you know, what does justice look like and how do we actually move forward together to, you know, forgive, to reconcile, to actually do life and flourish with each other? Man, I think it's, I think you guys, you two just both modeled it, you know, it's, uh, it's opening homes. It's, um, it's walking, it's willing to step into each other's shoes and, um, you know, sort of living out those truths, um, really learning how to live in community and really learning how to say when, when the scripture says, yo, love your neighbor, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's really like, Hey, uh, and even the challenge of like, man, who's my neighbor, you know, and, and who God went to was like, in that, in that, in the good Samaritan story was somebody outside of your faith and your race. You know, somebody that you may have carried some like um, serious prejudice towards because, you know, if, if you're following the narrative of, of Scripture, um, you know, the Israelites were carried serious prejudice against the Samaritans, you know, and when he was like, oh, who's your neighbor? Jesus went straight there, you know, so I think that there's a lesson in that, you know, um, this is how you live out. This is how you live out neighbor neighbor. You know, this is how you live out loving your neighbor, you know, and um, and I think that when you start humanizing those experiences and um, and those people and and then, you know, the the Latino in your neighborhood, the undocumented, the the black man, the white man, they don't become social constructs. They become your friends, you know. So when you hear someone speaking ill of them or speaking in a way that somehow undermines their image barrenness. You're going to get offended just like if they was talking about your own family or your own children, because it's like, fam, you don't know them and you don't you don't love them like I do. So you're, you're not allowed. Like I get I get very defensive when I hear, you know, it, it just in a in a normal friendship perspective, like if even if it's tweets, like if I hear somebody, you know, uh, somebody tweeting about like or I read somebody tweeting about a public figure um, in a, you know, unbecoming manner. But I know that person uh, personally, I get mad defensive. I'm like, man, you don't know him. You don't know her. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And I'm, and I'm going to jump to that person's defense, even if, 
even if they were, you know, quote unquote wrong. I'm like, well, no, 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 no. Even if they are wrong, you don't get to say that because you're not living in a community with them. Right. That's not your folks. Those are my folks. I love them. You know what I mean? Um, so uh, I feel the same, you know, in, in the totality of our race relations. You know what I'm saying? Like when somebody, you know, as a, as a, as a white man, you and, you know, you and in conversations in, a, in, you know, at the proverbial water cooler, if you will, and somebody makes an off color comment about like an Arab, you know, person, you know, that you, it may make you uncomfortable, but you understand, like, you're just supposed to giggle, even if you don't agree with it. You're supposed to just be like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, don't giggle. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. nah, it's not funny. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to tell you how to live, but that's not funny. I got Arab friends. I don't find that funny, you know? Um, and I, I think that, you know, those things, I think, move us closer to... Uh, true um um getting over uh some of the the hurdles we have yeah you know and that that actually makes me think of the the you know the the idea of going from and it's kind of back to the intersectionality and allied to advocate and you know going from being offended to actually moving forward and taking action right so what is what does that look like you know you know both from the specific you know a specific example but also in the general because it's easy to, you know, get involved generally, if that makes sense, you know, mm-hmm. as far as, you know, I'm against racism. Okay. But what does that look yes. like in a specific, what does that look like in an everyday when we're talking about the issues that we're, you know, in our country today, because it's also easy on the other side to just have a victim Absolutely. mentality and say, you know what, I'm never going to be able to make it because, um, the oppression. So therefore, I'm just going to throw my hands up and be done. So obviously neither of yeah. us is the right answer. So what does that look like in reality? Yeah, yeah man. It's, I mean, it's a great question. And I think it's something that has to be thought through, uh, you know, in the context of your family and your culture and in your social context and all those different things, because everybody can't be, everybody can't have, we're not all, we're not all MLK. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. We're not all, you know, uh, John F. Kennedy. Like we're not all that, you know, but you have, and we all have spheres of influence. Um, and uh, we have to learn how to use and leverage those and recognize them. Um, one thing that I tell you this, like, so our label owner, um, Odd Thomas, who is white man, um, my best friend for almost 20 years now, uh, his thing is, look, man, I'm not gonna, I'm not the guy on Twitter that's like, you know, um, given the big long threads and diatribes, I'm not the guy with my picket sign out front. Uh, but I am the guy that's going to specifically sign propaganda, show Baraka and Jackie Hill and give them voices, you know, and say Mm -hmm. they have the, they got the conch, they got the wisdom and I'm going to use all of my business prowess and, wisdom and to to love fortify and support these people because i believe in the cause that they're champion and this is my way of participating so he figured out in his context like this is how this is this is how we 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 do this you know what i mean um so i feel like it's it's important you know in your context you know what i'm saying i think uh for you know you you in a law firm law firm situation i think it may be maybe it's a matter of you know, the, the, the cases you choose to pick up, you know, or, you know, maybe there's a, you know, a a big client that, 
you know what I'm saying, you know, it's like, man, it's going to make this firm a whole lot of money and I could take this or I could pass it to this black woman, you know what I mean, who also works in the firm, who's perfectly capable, right. you know what I'm saying? Right. And, um, and that's you sort of lowering yourself, you know what I'm saying, and participating in that advocacy. Now, us as those who are on the other side of, of that sort of oppression is realizing the reality of, of structures that, you know, are kind of out of your, legitimately out of your control where like, you know, you can have a victim mentality and you can also actually be a victim. Mm -hmm. So I think that in, there's, there's a reality of that. Yeah. You know, I mean, well, kind of are victims, you know what I'm saying? Um, but that's not the end of your story. Right. So you, you knowing that that's not the end, uh, you know, causes you to say, well, I'm still going to swing for the fences and ultimately understand that the true, you know, uh, appropriator of justice is God, you know, mm -hmm. and it's not any, it's not really in the hands of any other man or woman, you know, so I am going to, like I said, swing for the fences, fight where I'm called to fight for, but I'm going to continue to be diligent in all that I do and, and, and participate in sort of the marketplace and the workforce, um, whether I'm welcome there or not, you know? Right. right. No, and I, I think that all of this, I, I, get, I get excited when I hear this because it basically is telling us, look, it's about doing life with people right? It's about Absolutely. getting involved with people, understanding them, knowing who they are, having empathy, getting in, you know, getting in their shoes to the extent you can, but, but more than just really do life with them. When you do that, you will know how you're supposed to enter into it, how you're supposed to enter Absolutely. into their, their, you know, life, how you're entering into their hurt, how you're entering into their um, needs. And then you'll know how to help each other. It's not a one way street. It's helping each other to understand each other, to understand how to move forward. And, you know, I think that Absolutely. lesson, as we talk about, you know, our global audience, that, that goes for any cross-cultural ministry we're doing, Absolutely. any cross-cultural relationship you have, anywhere you go in, Absolutely. to not go in as with the paternalism, to not go in with the, I'm better than you, to not go in with anything other than, look, I want to learn about you. I want to learn about who you are as you would with any Absolutely. other person that you're getting to know. Um, you know, and I often liken it to, you know, dating relationship, you know, you go into it, like, I want to get to know you because I want to do life with you. And what does that look like long term? Yep. And it's going to start with hello. And you Facts. go from there. Uh huh. So, you That's know, good, man. with that, you know, I want to, I want to move into and talk about, you know, one of your songs in a little bit more detail. And this will give you guys out there, if you haven't heard, uh, Prowse Music, he's got a great thing on Spotify. If you get it, it's called Selected Songs, um, that would be a great place to start. But this one mm -hmm. song, Don't Listen to Me, which, you know, you wrote it, I assume, based on the lyrics of it as your kind of introduction to people. Um, yes. And... I think it serves that purpose very well. But one of the things that's very clear in it is a lot of what we talked about today, which is the importance of humility and lifelong learning. And you're clearly that. You're, you're a humble guy with that you're a lifelong learner from what I've heard in your music, what I've heard in you speaking, and just on the different podcasts I've heard, and even today. Oh, man, um, thanks. Yeah. But one, a couple of the, the quotes that, you know, I want you to, to speak to, you know, one is, 
academia is so drunk on arrogance and racism, they will never admit that we aren't the smartest generation to ever live. That's one yeah. of them. And then in Precious Puritans, different song, but uh, it, it's, a, it's a similar idea. It says, God uses crooked sticks to make straight lines. Absolutely. And, you know, why is this so important? Why is this? I want you to speak to just our, our audience here as far as it's so important to understand. And how can we keep a posture of humility and learning in a world that really often doesn't usually encourage or reward it, quite frankly? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, uh, again, it kind of harkens back to all of sort of the things we were talking about in the sense of like, you, you know, the more you travel, the more people you meet, the more you realize that you don't have the normal or perfect iteration of culture and life, you know, and how much you actually gain when you're willing to um, step into that position of humility. So even just from a selfish standpoint, like you just become better, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. when you take that posture. Um, but I also think too, like really just the testimony of history, like how often we've been wrong. Like when you look back in time and things that we were so convinced about, like, you know, there's a, there's, you know, a funny thing happens on Twitter, you know, when, when somebody pulls an old tweet back up, um, and it's like either completely contradictory to what you stand for now or time and life has proven that statement wrong. You know, this thing people were like retweeted with like somebody saying, man, life comes at you fast. Or like, uh, you know, hey, that tweet didn't age well. Um, and it's because we only see through a glass dimly, you know. And when you're willing to sort of acknowledge that and just kind of hold these things much more loosely, hold your pride much more loosely, um, then I think your your words age better. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, kind of the 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 idea from the drunk on arrogance and racism is it was kind of speaking on this idea that, um, you know, we still have yet to have a full grasp on the building, not only of, of Egyptian pyramids, um, but Mesoamerican pyramids and their understanding of astronomy and, and just, you know, tapestries we found that clearly look like the, you know, the outlining of the continents from like space perspective. And I'm going, how did these primitive people know how to map, you know what I'm saying, the edge of of these continents? You know, so the only and the only conclusion we could come up with was, well, they're not as smart as us. So it must have been aliens like aliens must have shown them how to do that. And it's like, how ridiculous is that? Maybe right. they know things we don't. Yeah. Maybe maybe we haven't fully discovered what they have fully discovered. Maybe maybe they maybe they know more than us, you know. Yeah. Um, so and it's that arrogance that makes us think that oh, it's clearly not possible. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, well, that's well, your conclusion is ridiculous. Of course it's possible. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You know, but you have but that takes humility. You know, um, it also takes the and which like you said does tie into the crooked sticks and straight lines is that you know. Um, God in his infinite mercy, knowing full well that like we're still sinners, yet we're still called to the proclamation of truth in the gospel, you know, still uses us, you know. So I think that when you stand up and try to proclaim truth and righteousness, you you should do it from a um, from a, a perspective of like, you know, like my pastor says, like leading with the limp, you know, yep. you 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 
you, you're, you're coming from a positionality that's like, look, dude, like I am, I am not the best example of this. Right. You know, I am trying and I'm leaning and learning just like you are, you know? Absolutely. No. And I think that yeah. some of that comes from, like you said, I mean, the brokenness of our, our education system. I mean, you have a song called Board of Education, which, which I love. It actually reminded me and harkened back to one of the interviews I just recently did with a guy, Jeff Sandifer. Um, he has the Acting yeah. Academy, which, which basically is doing everything you're talking about in that song, song, which is really causing our kids to think and not just get answers, you know? And I think that, that the problem mm. is sometimes those answers are so flawed and we're not reading that stuff of those old, you know, the, the old books. I remember, you know, reading a book talking about when kids in the 1800s would learn about math, they'd go read Euclid. They'd be reading about yeah. these guys who created math, you know, because that's where it comes from, the why behind the what, you know, what's going on? How do these guys do it? Well, now you just say, learn this, you know? Yeah. And as you said, you know, you can go to Google and you can Google anything nowadays. We don't need to learn to know anymore and we need to learn to do and to be. And what does that yeah. look like? And, and I think that that, that kind of leads into the next uh, thing I want to talk to you about for, for a few minutes about the importance of family and community to flourishing in society, you know, and uh, one line that in that song, you know, don't listen to me, you talk about, you know, you really love your wife, your daughters and mangoes, you know, which I love mm -hmm. mangoes too. I love my wife. Yep. I love my daughters yep. and my sons, but you have two daughters and yeah. why is, you know, first of all, when I, I want you to speak to, you know, why is the strength of families and communities so intimately connected to the strength and flourishing of societies? Man, um, because that's what makes humans, you know, the, the sort of the crucible, the, the cauldron that makes humans is the family, you know. Uh, and now that family, you know, may not necessarily be as traditional or as, as nuclear for everybody, um, but uh, or even every society. But at the end of the day, you know, how you learn to be a human is from, I believe, from or at least should be from loving parents, you know, in a home that desires for, uh, you know, you to be better, you know? Yeah, and, um, and, uh, so I think that if we can, you know, fortify the psyche, you know, mentally and spiritually of, of our children, you know, then they come in and, and there'll be global citizens that, love their neighbor, appreciate their neighbor, you know, serve others, esteem others higher than themselves. I think you learn that. I, well, I would hope so. You learn that in your home, you know, mm -hmm. and whatever that home may look like, you know, uh, I come from a culture where sometimes that home is grandma, dad, and sister, or, or auntie, mom, you know what I'm saying? Like right. the, 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 the conglomerate of that, you know, it may play out different ways, but at the end of the day, Man, that home, that family, man, um, there's nothing like it, you know? Absolutely. And, and on, to that point, um, as a dad of two daughters, um, speak to the men out there on why daddies are so important in the lives of their little girls and young women. Oh, man. Man, I think I still am learning the fullness of that. You know, I think sometimes I don't even grasp really how important I am to my daughters. Um I know because my eldest is just so enamored and fascinated with her mom, mm -hmm. you know, uh, mm -hmm. as she should be because mm -hmm. her mom's amazing, you know, um, to the point to where when she's walking, you know, there's, there was times where 
you know, her, my my wife sleeps like a log, like through the night. So when my uh, daughter's like up coughing and just like totally sick, like I'm the one getting up, getting her water, you know, like making sure she takes her cough. So like I'm the one doing that, you know, worn out. And then in the morning, like she'll get up, go right to her mom's side of the bed and be like, oh, I love you, mom. <laughs> and I'm like, are you serious? Are you serious right yeah. now? You know, so it's so sometimes you feel like, man, you just ain't important. You know what I mean? My baby wakes up. The first thing out of her mouth is mommy. And I'm like, mm-hmm. she's not even here. Like mom's <laughs> at work. Like I'm the one, you know what I'm saying? So like you start feeling like, dang, I'm not as important. You know what I'm saying? But, um, you know, but it just shows up in other ways. Like uh, the my my daughter's sort of confidence, her her affirmation, her mental stability, her feeling of, of being loved and accepted is, you know, by someone who's, you know, clearly physically stronger than her and has the physical ability to protect her. But the gentle touch of, you know, carrying her on my shoulder, like what that does for her and how she sees men, period, um, how she sees me serving her, her mom, you know, and, and, um, you know, holding my tongue when I speak, you know what I'm saying? Or, or we're speaking softly and choosing my words and, you know, season with grace, like how all those things just shape how she sees the world and how she sees other men. Um, it's big, you know? Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you, uh, yeah. you and show Baraka have a song called a and got an answer that, Ooh, uh, yeah. speaks to this very, very powerfully and, uh, definitely yeah, recommend man. you folks out there to that song is, you know, and answer this question and just with some examples that, that definitely hit hard. Yeah. And as a dad of three daughters, I, I know the importance of that, that role too is, yeah, you know, man. they need to hear me say, I love you. They need to hear me say, yeah, you're, you're awesome. You're incredible. You have so much, so much goodness to offer the world, you know, and otherwise, you know, a lot of this world will eat them up. And, uh, and I think that that's something that it's really hard to, if the daddy doesn't do this, is the, I talked to a lot of people about, you know, the idea of mentoring, mm-hmm. you know, for young men to have a man in their life to mentor them is so powerful, but it's really hard for a woman without a little girl or a young woman without a daddy to get a male mentor in their life that can be a healthy relationship. Yeah, man. Because it usually yeah, goes man. wrong either on the girl's side or on the guy's side. And and it's hard. Sure. It's really hard. So yeah. just want to be encouragement, hopefully, to daddies out there to, to love your daughters, to love them well. Yeah, man. Stick in there, man. Even when they uh, even when they don't show the affection back. Trust me, it's there. Yeah, absolutely. And then a um, couple more things. And then I, I know that uh, you got your one-year-old speaking of your little girl. She's sitting there watching, watching yeah. a show by you. So we're going to wrap it up in yeah. the next few minutes. But... One of the things I want to speak to, to you, you talk about the end of that song, Don't Listen to Me. It says, lower standards will lower the culture. The Roman Empire Absolutely. was destroyed by lower standards and moral decay. Now, yeah. a lot of people have you know, likened to modern day America to the Roman Empire and a lot of yeah. the lower standards. How do we keep standards high? How do we keep it, the standards up where they need to be? And what you know, are those standards in a, in a relative world that doesn't like yeah. absolutes? How can yeah. we actually have standards that, first of all, we agree on, and how do we keep them high? Yeah. What does it even I mean? mean right? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's a great question, man. I think that's like, man, that's that's a running for that's a running for office question, you know? <laughs> um, that like, I think in a lot of ways, I don't, I actually don't have an answer for. I know what I try to do with my children, which is 
um, my my I, I my my eldest daughter is, and without like embarrassing her too bad, but you know with you know two parents that are both educators, she is not at all an A student, <laughs> you know, and it's really I like sixth grade beat the crap out of her, you know, and uh, she is not. She she ain't like us in that sense. You know what I'm saying? Um, so it was really in a lot of ways kind of hard for us to get our brain around why she was OK with being with just getting by, you know. And um, so what I didn't want to do was put pressure on her. That's not fair, like calling her sort of lazy because I was watching my daughter and she wasn't being lazy. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah, she was absolutely. going for it. Yep. You know, there were just particular life skills that she just didn't like time management and just procrastination and 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 like stick wittedness. You know, when something's hard, like it doesn't come easy for you. Um, doing it again and and not accepting, oh man, I'm too far into this, so I'm just gonna scratch it. No, 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 no. Start over. You know what I mean? So those sort of disciplines of expecting the best of yourself is something that she, right now she hates me over. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but she's just going to have to hate me over it. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Um, because, so I think, I think what we had to deal with, deal with my daughter was saying, Hey, you know, if, if you walk in here with, you know, the old, the old Cosby show saying the hard C, like you walk in with a hard C that I know me and you stayed up till 11 o'clock, like, you know, quiz, quizzing you over, you sweated over, you rewrote three times and you came home and got a C with that. I'm like you, but you sweated for it. You know, yep. I can be, I can accept that. Now that's not what we want for you, but I can accept it. Oh, I don't know if you hear my daughter screaming right now. I do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but I'm like, you, you sweated for it, you know? Um, and I can accept that sweat. Now, if you come home with a B minus on something you didn't sweat for, and I'm like, I know the reality is you could have got an A in this. You know what I'm saying? Because if you would have came home and sweated a little, that would be that would be a work. I'm not happy with that. I don't care that this is a higher grade than your C minus. You didn't sweat for it. Right. You know, so I'm I what I want to teach my daughter is for to, to set a standard for herself that is higher than the grade or the accolade of somebody else. You know, if you sweat it for it, mm-hmm. you know, and um if something comes easy for you, then push yourself further, no matter what the grade level is. If something comes hard, if something's hard for you, push yourself, no matter what the grade is. Absolutely. You know, so that's for me something that we're we're trying to do in our own home. You know, it, whether it's whether it's performance or even if it's giving or serving others. You know, what I'm saying mm-hmm. like, you know, if it's like with your sister, you know, it's real easy for her to give her you know, hey, you can have half of my carrots. I'm like, well, right. that's not hard for you to give her half <laughs> right. your carrots. Like, that's not, don't don't look at me saying, daddy, look how generous I was. That was not, sweetie, that wasn't generous. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yep. Like, give her half of that ice cream. You know what I'm saying? Let's yep. see, push yourself. You know what I mean? So, so we're trying to like instill that. So then when she steps out, like she'll just demand excellence for herself. And eventually um, the, the grades and her, I don't know, her salary is going to reflect it, you know, because she pushed herself. No, absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I, I say a similar thing to my kid. I'm like, they come home, it's definitely the grade. I'm like, well, what'd you learn? What'd you actually learn? Yep. 
And if you learned a lot, hey, great. I, I quite frankly, I don't care. You know, obviously it helps with college if you want to go there and that's a different goal. Of course. That's something you're setting yourself. But um, anyway, well, I love that you mentioned the Cosby show because I think there are so many lessons from the Cosby show. The, the yeah, writing man. for that show was just phenomenal and the, the cast is incredible. So we're actually watching that we're probably on season five with my family. We're watching through oh, it. So fun. it's so fun. Yeah. It's like the best thing ever with all the kids because they all kind of relate to one or one or two of the other kids, you know, and so it's fantastic Absolutely. for them to be able to enjoy something that I, you know, was so such a part of my childhood. Um, totally. On that note, you know, what have you read, watched, or listened to that, you know, will, will really, that has impacted your thinking on what we've discussed today and can really help our audience understand these issues better? Yeah, uh, so I read um, A Different Mirror by uh, Ronald Takaki. Uh, it's an oldie but goodie, just a really, really good book. Um, Frederick Douglass's, uh, autobiography is another phenomenal book. Um, one called Mujerista Theology, uh, really dealing with some of the Latin American experience. Mm. Um, and, uh, Between Two Worlds, the Taniasi Coates book. Those are really, really good books. Well, got a lot of uh, summer reading there. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> definitely uh, continuing to learn about all these issues, but I'm, I'm looking forward to digging into those. Yeah, man. Hopefully uh, you folks out there will grab those as well. Um, and what uh, what person has most impacted you thinking on, on what we've discussed today? Really, um, it's interesting, man. Like my wife has actually impacted my, uh, my thought a lot. Um, sort of seeing her walk through culture, you know, has really impacted my thought. Um, a, uh, a, a sister named Akimini, um, oh man, I only know her, uh, her, uh, that's all right. Social media handle is sister, sister theology. Um, <laughs> she's brilliant. Uh, Zakia Jackson. Um, okay. she's really, uh, really helped out a lot of my thought. Um, yeah, I think, I, yeah, I think really those three women have like really shaped the way I, I look at the world recently. Well, you know, I know that uh, you've given so much today, so much wisdom. Thank you so much for sharing, sharing from the heart, sharing from oh, my what pleasure, God's been man. teaching you. Yeah. Thank you uh, for loving your daughters well, loving your wife well. That's very apparent with uh, just everything that you, you talk about in your music, in your talks. And uh, so thanks, thanks so much for being on the show today. I appreciate that, man. Thank you so much. Well, thanks again to Propaganda for sharing his wisdom, sharing uh, just so much experience uh, and expertise with us. We could we could talk it on and on as we've talked about Karen. We, you know, both of us really really enjoyed uh, this interview, um, but we don't have days and days to talk about it. So you know, let's let's just talk about a couple things that really stuck out to you about the interview. Um, what do you got for us? Yes, this interview was on point. I thoroughly enjoyed it so, so much. So much um, intellectual stimulation, so much um, just relevance and, and realness that he was able to speak. And I also really appreciated that there were multiple times where I had to pull out my dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, some of my favorite things that you guys were getting into. Um, first of all, I loved that you guys literally grew up next to each other. I thought that was such a, a cool experience. And I loved even kind of hearing his reaction to that. And I think that reaction is even relevant. Um, and so that was a really cool part. But, you know, he in some of the 
kind of jargony language that he used, not jargony in an inappropriate way, but just language that we don't kind of hear every day. Most of us, we don't, you know, roll around talking about intersectionality and critical race theory and um, those type of things. But that is really things that I do so much in my daily life and my profession and not necessarily in those terms, but just really helping children and teenagers and families, especially families who have grown their families through international adoption and have trans ethnic and transracial transracial families of what, what are our identities and what is your child's identity and what do these overlapping identities look like and how in that can we literally seek out to become more knowledgeable about privilege? We cannot have our eyes. We cannot act like this doesn't exist. We have to be willing to be seekers and to be learners. I loved when he talked about that. And I, I even was just going back to all of our interviews related to the refugee crisis series. And we heard so much about that. We heard so much about not coming into an environment and thinking we know everything and that everything is going to work the best, but really entering into a situation with true humbleness like Christ and, and really seeking out to learn. And I loved when, um, he was really flipping that on its head too. And saying like, really in that you're actually going to get smarter, bro. You think, you know, everything already, but if you would just literally humble yourself and seek to learn more and understand that you are not the best, you are not the norm, then that's actually going to make you even smarter. Isn't that kind of irony? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. No. And and I also love just the idea in the context of all that, where he said how we are called to oneness, not sameness or uniformity, right? You know, Mm -hmm. we talk about that so much that everyone's like, oh, I'm colorblind. No, that's not what, that's not the point. No, that's not what we're trying to do. That's not the goal. The goal is that we are we are one. We are, you know, we have so much to learn from each other, um, but we're not the same. We're just flat out not the same. Not the same cultures. Not the same. Uh, you know, if you have a different family down the street, they're different. So let alone all these different cultures around the world, it is a beautiful, beautiful thing that we have. So to celebrate that, to celebrate the diversity in the context of that, how can we flourish together? What does that look like? while knowing that it's not going to all be the same and it's not going to necessarily, it's not, it's definitely not going to look the same. So, and I, I, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a one plus one equals two. And he was super clear in that. And what I heard is a lot of, again, continued themes. And I think that some people might think, why are we interviewing propaganda for this podcast? What does this have to do with orphaned and vulnerable children? But what we're hearing is that doing life with people, having true relationships and being united in community, it takes intentionality. And, you know, propaganda can't give us the exact way for us to, as white individuals, you as a white man, me as a white woman, to really press into racial reconciliation in our own lives, in our own communities, in our own churches. But he's saying, hey, you just got to press in. You have to think through it. There has to be intentionality. Um, And in that, again, we've heard so much of that as we talk through um, organizations across the globe and especially in our refugee crisis series. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and that's something that I really appreciated about him that uh, he didn't feel like he needed to have the answer all the time. And that, that was right. refreshing to me. He, did, he still provided some, some thoughts, but he was very clear that, you know, I don't, I don't know. Like, we need to wrestle with this together. And I appreciate that so much because that's how I feel so much of the time and, and particularly in the stuff that we're talking about regularly that I'm coming into it from the outside on so many times. And I'm just like, 
I don't have mm. a clue. So how can I learn? And, you know, and that was the other thing that I, I really enjoyed talking to him about was hearing not just him talking about a posture of humility, but in his answers, having that posture of humility. Oh, right. Absolutely. You know, and that's evident. And also the one thing that, you know, not one, there were so many things, but one of the things that really stuck out to me and that's something I think about a lot. And I even mentioned it during the interview, but the, the idea that we need to understand that, you know, we, whoever we are, whoever you are, you are not the normal and everything else is the other, right? That yeah. really, you know, that yeah. hit, that hits hard when you think about that because it's so easy to think that way, no matter who you are and where you are. Yeah. He gave some great examples of pressing into that. But again, I, I really think so much of what I see in, you know, just even my small clinical practice here, culturally speaking here in, you know, Louisville, Kentucky, (laughs) unless you're intentionally like taught how to think in these ways, it does become a repetitive cycle, which is what he pressed into even more when you guys were talking about the importance of family and the importance of relationships, the importance of fathers. And I I loved his clarification of this may not be your immediate family. This may be whatever family looks like for you, but in that, like we're called as caregivers, as providers to teach our kids how to be healthy. He used the word mentally in their psyche. I was like, yes, Mm -hmm. bro. Like this is holistic child development stuff. And and he had it on point. Absolutely. Well, as we said, we could have gone on and on. We could have gone for so much longer and hopefully we continue this conversation um, online uh, and even if you want to do it offline if you know me and you can even if you don't know me drop me an email and we can we can talk about this stuff because these are things we need to continue talking about continually be talking about um, and you know on the note talking about stuff you know we also want to recommend books to each other and so right now we're gonna shift gears and uh, there's something that I know Karen has been itching to share with us um, since she received it in her mailbox. And this is a recommendation she has in the uh, Dr. Karen and Phil recommend section. So Karen, what do you got? Yes, I've got a great one. I have had this book on pre-order since um, the immediate opportunity for pre-order. It's As you guys know, I'm quite a huge professional fan of Dr. Dan Siegel, all of his stuff. Read it, memorize it. <laughs> apply it. It's phenomenal. <laughs> so he and um, a colleague who he typically writes with, Dr. Tina Bryson, have come out with their most recent book. It's called The Yes Brain. And the subtitle is How to Cultivate Courage, Curiosity, and Resilience in Your Child. And so if you guys listen to our podcast regularly, you know, in our uh, refugee crisis series, we talked a lot about resiliency. How do we help kids bounce back? How do we give kids the skill set and the tools to be able to heal and to be able to bounce back? And this book does a great job of outlining in a very real way. This is not a clinical jargony type of book. This is a real book that anyone can read. And that's why I really, really appreciate the way that Dr. Siegel the way that he writes is because it's real and it's applicable and anyone can read it. You don't need a degree in, you know, mental health or psychology or social work to read this. It's a phenomenal book. I'd recommend it to any parent, any caregiver, anyone that works with a child or knows a child or ever was a child. Well, I look forward to reading it. And I also look forward to, you know, hopefully getting uh, Dan on the show or Dan and Tina or Tina or one of them or all of them. Um, I guess it'd be both of them. Um, but, uh, 
I, I yeah, like I said, I, I've learned a lot from from Dan and, and his books, and, and I, I know that this one will will not be an exception to that. So, folks out there, I hope that you enjoyed this uh, kickoff to season four as much as I did. Um, I I am so excited to have Karen back in here so we can continue doing this with all of you out there. I pray and hope that you engage this as we are and that you take everything that you're learning and you use it to help you love orphan and vulnerable children more and more and better and better each and every day. Thanks a lot. Have a great week. We hope you've enjoyed today's Think Orphan podcast. For all the information in this week's podcast, please visit us at thinkorphan.com. You too can be part of the conversation. Send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the Think Orphan Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of Think Orphan.